Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. We've been talking with Vidya Karthikian of The Unlikely Tricksters about concept training. Last week, she shared some of the teaching steps. We started to talk about cues and how you can test to see if what you think you are teaching matches what your animal has learned. I shared a story about learning to play Scrabble, and then Dominique asked a question about extinction. That's where we ended, so we'll pick up again with Dominique's question. Oh, um, I... I don't know. For me, it's the question of the month. <laughs> so how probably ask you Mary. Know, <laughs> so how do you know that there is too much extinction going on? So what do you mean? Well, let's say you're teaching duration. Mm. Okay? You're teaching a dog to um, chin rest mm-hmm. or put his nose on something. And when you start adding duration, they stop the latency. Yeah. Instead of doing it, uh, chin, rest, chin, rest, click, chin, rest, click, chin, rest, click. You're doing, they're, they're not, they're not starting the behavior. They're kind of looking at you or, so how do you know that, you know, it's, it's okay. He, it'll come back and we'll get the duration. And this is a micro extension versus, Ooh, this is oh, this I, is such a good question, isn't it? I've been thinking. Oh, I've been thinking about this um, over Expo and afterwards. What's the difference between uh, problem solving, what looks like yes. problem solving, and, and what looks like flailing about? You know. Yeah, so what, what's yeah. the, what's the difference between the two, and how do you how do you gauge it? How do you judge it? How do you, you know, gauge how it? How do you tolerate it? You know, yeah. how long of a puzzle moment are you willing to? tolerate how many times can you yeah 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 see it's interesting because i um i think about how sarah owings talks about this as well so you know in terms of on the one hand you want to be the kind of teacher who gives the answers to who almost hands the answers so that your animal is constant is consistently successful on the other hand you want to give them the space, like in husbandry work or in concept work, or, you know, you want to give them that space to think, to just go, I've got this. And then the penny's going to drop. You know? So especially with concept work, like when you offer that novel object mm-hmm. or when you do a new, new behavior, that's a moment when you're taking a step back and you're allowing that animal to problem solve. You're giving that space. So Kay Lawrence refers to that as the puzzle testing. So you're, you're going to build your components as errorlessly as you can. But then you're, you have to test at some point, is what 
I think I'm teaching what my learner is learning because I could get this, I could get, be giving you the right answer for the wrong reason. Yes, yes. I had this, um, it again goes to sort of cue salience and so on as well, because one of the things that I taught, this is separate, so I gave, I taught my dog to target my leg every time I would, you know, I lift my right one, he paws it with his, with the, the one on the other side, like a mirror, yeah? yeah? And then I thought, okay, I, he obviously understands, you know, playing this game with me, so I would turn around the other way and I would offer him my leg. Yeah. And what he did was absolutely fascinating. He actually crossed his paw. So what he had learned was I must meet Vidya's right leg with my left paw. Mm -hmm. And it, it's fascinating when you have these small testing moments. That's how you know what the animal has learned. Yes. Yeah. But I know for me, my tolerance to, because I can allow one puzzle moment, that's fine. Yeah. But I know my tolerance to lack of latency is become, because I, I really believe in clean loops. I mean, this has changed everything in my training and I'm always thriving to get clean loops. And so when I don't get a clean loop, I kind of always go back and think my setup's wrong. I have to rethink my setup's not good enough. This is not airless. I'm not getting a clean loop. So I'm becoming really sensitive about that. And, you know, and I wonder, do I need to be a little bit more relaxed about it and let the animal, you know, have a moment? Well, like I said, I'll be okay with having a puzzle moment. But if I see a puzzle moment repeating itself, I start to question myself. Also, are you aware that you have set up a puzzle moment Ex oh that's yeah. yeah yeah so that's yeah yeah absolutely i agree yeah portal is an easier way of thinking about that so if i'm playing the table game the portable operant research and teaching lab would be jesus's version or janabacab would be the original Kay lawrence's version but within however you're you're viewing it and using it and playing with it You've got all these, you've got these objects on the table and I am setting something up so it's errorless. It might be I'm having somebody turn a car. So I set a car, little toy car. I set a toy car out on the table, but I set it on the table upside down. What a human is likely to do is flip it so it's right side too. Okay, so... So I then I turn it so it's upside down. They flip it so it's right side too, and they get reinforced for that. And then a puzzle moment, a deliberate puzzle moment, might be that I set the car out right side up. What do they do? And I might see a little hesitation because it's the presentation is slightly different. But if they've solved the puzzle well, they'll flip it. So now it's upside down. So they've solved, they, I, I gave them a puzzle moment, a deliberate puzzle moment by turning the car right side to. Now, did I ask for too difficult a puzzle? So my, what I need to learn how to do as a trainer, as a teacher, is to set puzzles that stretch my individual, but not so far that they are so hard that they can't solve them. Yep. 
That's yeah. the art. That's the art. And when and when you look at something like an art, or can we develop that skill? Well, I I would think that we we can develop it, and I would say that if we were studying video game productions, that there is a real understanding in the building of the video games and the building of the levels of difficulty so that you end up with a very addicted user. They know how to do this. Yeah. So it's clearly something that could be dissected and explored. And so if we wanted to look outside the field of animal training to go look at what are they teaching people who are learning to build video games or to build some of these other things where people get absolutely addicted. The developers of Facebook know how to do it. Yeah, they do. Well, I, I think it's, one day we, we should do something with Mary Hunter of Behavior mm -hmm. Explorer because they, they explore that, you know, how to set up the good, the right puzzle yeah. to get did where you, you want. Did you know that there is software that companies can buy uh, in order to increase the engagement with the product? So it's, and, and it, it comes down to reinforcement. It, it comes down to the schedules of reinforcement, essentially. So they give you several notifications all at once after a period of not giving you any at all. They reinforce your engagement with others. So they, they're very clear about what is the behavior that they want to see from the individual. And they, the, the way the software is built is that it basically keeps you on some kind of a variable reinforcement schedule. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. But one, you know, the, the question then that I would ask with that sort of model is, it, do, do, does the individual actually find it reinforcing or how do you get that right? How do you get it right? So it's not frustrating where I'm opening my phone and checking Facebook and going, Oh, there's no, there's no notification. Nobody wants to talk to me or I'm opening it and going, Oh, five people want to talk to me, you know? So as much as I might be absolutely hooked on that application, do I really enjoy that? Yes. There's a real difference, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I think one thing, it's hard to quantify that, but to say just because you see the behavior doesn't mean you, the, the individual enjoys yeah. that. What's maintaining that behavior if we really parse it out? Exactly. So even with criteria setting, and again, it comes down to choice. It comes down to do you provide ways of, do you provide that reinforcement elsewhere? Do I get the same kind of social engagement as I do on Facebook? Or is it so personalized in that one feed that... I will block out human relationships in real life in order to go invest my time in it because it's so personalized, it's so tailored to me that I'm going to find it reinforcing. Or that you're so constrained by, you know, again, the degrees of freedom. Yes. So that you have no, you, there's no other choice. It's the only thing I know how to do. So, and if I actually went and talked to a real human, <gasps> so, so I'll get really good at playing, I don't know, some video game on the computer because I don't actually have to talk to anybody, but I, I'm the, you know, world champion of whatever it is, but that's the only thing I can do. Yeah. 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 So. This, this gets so to the conversations that we were having at the Art and Science of Animal Training Conference. And there are some real head-spinning moments where, you, you know, you're saying that you can coerce with positive reinforcement and you can just see, oh, no, that can't be. But actually, it can be very coercive. And 
you just get these these real head-spinning conversations about what is it that you're actually doing and that's part of the puzzle moments is it gives you it gives you an opportunity to evaluate at least a little bit what is going on here is my learner getting the answer that I want but for the wrong reason so that's one layer and then is my learner staying engaged with me for the reasons that I would like my learner to stay engaged with me, for the social attention. I think it's really important to understand this notion that you can coerce with positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people don't see it. They see the consequence and they think it's a positive consequence. But if you have no other choice, it can be coercion, absolutely. So I think what I think about with coercion and choice and so on as well is how can I maintain clarity in communication whilst not being coercive? So how do I find that balance? If I would reinforce for opting out as well as opting in, if I would reinforce for two concurrent behaviors, how am I being clear? Yeah. I don't know how to continue to be clear whilst maximizing choices and degrees of freedom. Yes. Give me an example. So if I would, let's say that I'm trying to teach um, an animal a chin rest mm-hmm. and, um, you know, chin rest, click, I, I feed, chin rest, mm-hmm. click, I feed. But mm-hmm. then I might, the, the animal looks away or animal mm-hmm. does not offer, chin, you know, or offers a different behavior. You or click goes, and treat. <laughs> or, yeah, or, or yeah. the animal goes and sits in the box like my cat yeah. would, yeah. you know, so it's mm-hmm. it's how am I being clear as Mm -hmm. the teacher saying, okay, you, so my girl cat, she's learning to station on a towel in front of me for injection for like voluntary injections. She can also opt to go and sit in a towel five meters away from me. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. now I am reinforcing both of those things. I know we've discussed that it's not necessarily the same reinforcement, but I am kind of trying to reinforce both of those things. How can I be clear to say to her, actually, what I would like for you to do, please, if you would be so kind, is sit here. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. My first thought, it's a good question. My first thought is sometimes you just need to verify if your animal is doing something by choice. And then it's okay to just engage in that activity if you know they enjoy it. That's my simple Yeah. Sir, but I I absolutely understand what you're saying, but do we need to provide a choice all the time? Or do we need to verify that our animals are engaging with us and that they're enjoying themselves and that if they had a choice to do something else, they would still want to engage with us? Mm. No, we, we... we talk, and, and it's funny because I, I asked his this, this question. Remember, Alex, we talked about this in a recent podcast, well, the video analysis podcast, where one of my, because I do a lot of liberty work and I have all these stations in the arenas. So we do station one, two, three, four, five, and then we go again, one, two, three, four, five. And so at each station we stop, we do things, and then we, we, we're off to the next one. Some stations are easier than others. Mm-hmm. And there's this, like I had this horse, Pico. There's one station he really likes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, once in a while, instead of doing one, two, three, he would say, we would finish one and he would say, okay, let's skip two and go directly to three. 
Right. And, and so I had to ask myself, what do I do? Do I follow him? Do I allow him once in a while to decide what station we're going to be engaging with? And, and then I thought, okay, so when I'm with a friend, if they're the one always deciding what games we're going to be playing, there's a point where I'm going to find it a little bit, you know, aversive. Because mm -hmm. once in a while, I'd like to decide that. Like my mother, she always wants to pay, play Scrabble. And I love playing Scrabble with her. But once in a while, I'd like to play something else. Mm. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to allow him and even go with him and reinforce him and, 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 be, and do the station. And then we will come back to two. And let's see if chaos happens after that. Let's see if he's going to always skip two or not. Mm. And that's not what happened. And, but I was asking his, I said, what if he kept going to three and I kept reinforcing it? Wouldn't it at some point become counterproductive for the work I wanted to do? And we were very pressed in time, but his answer was, well, there needs to be a balance. Mm -hmm. And we, we didn't have time to go more into it, but it's certainly something that, you know, and it's not that Pico doesn't like to do two. It's just that he prefers, he loves to do three. So he's, he doesn't find, I wouldn't say, he, he doesn't find two aversive, not at all. Yeah. It's just that if it's, it's threes nearby, and perhaps if I put three at four, it wouldn't have that same mag magnet attraction you know mm -hmm. so I mean there are so many things happening at the same times you know you can have different values of reinforcement concurrently happening and it's not that he doesn't like this one it's just that he prefers that one mm -hmm. yeah yeah one of the things that I taught my literature at one point because I went down that rabbit hole and I was like how do I know he really wants to do concepts with me um mm -hmm. So, you know, how do, how do I know I'm not forcing him like the benevolent dictator that I am? So, um, <laughs> and existential questions that one comes up with at one yeah, o'clock in the morning. Well, these are the <laughs> questions we ask, right? <laughs> exactly. As a side note, I actually think it's really beautiful that as a community, there are more and more people who are asking questions, even about the smallest movement. It's not as much about, is it coercive if I yank the collar or not? It's actually... Is it coercive if I stand in the wrong place? Yeah. You know, it's, I love that I the subtlety is growing over time. It's just so beautiful to watch. Anyway, I, that's a tangent. I'm going to, sorry. But, but it's because we're realizing that our animals are sensitive to these. Yes, things. exactly. Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So with him, I thought that I would teach him and I took inspiration from a lady who is a wonderful friend of mine called Jennifer Conha and she works with her parrots and she actually does a lot of work on literacy so so research literacy with parrots and she's a lovely friend of mine and she she taught me how I might teach Beanie to say whether he wants to engage in an activity okay yeah so it, it looks like this I might say want bigger and I have these two cards you know the ones that say yes and no and then he might say yes uh he might say no it, every choice is reinforced but that is not how it was built I can cover that if 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 that might be interesting but what it looks like in practice is do you want bigger 
he'd say yes. Do you want how many? He'd say, he'd say yes or no. So essentially... He's choosing the activity. Yes, exactly. Okay. And the way I... The no way clever I, hands in this. <laughs> well, we don't know. We, don't, mm. we will never know. This is it, isn't it? So I've how, come to terms you, with that ambiguity. Yeah. How did you teach it? So I taught it using, with, with Jennifer's help, I taught it using objects, tangible objects where I knew the answer. And then I started asking questions where there was no correct answer. There was no one answer. So I used, within the context of training, my dog wants food. He wants cuddles because he's always up for a scritch. He does not want toy and he does not want water. So I know that about him. Okay. And I used those as examples to teach him what uh, indicating on yes and indicating on no means. So it's a direct consequence associated with the behavior. So if you indicate on yes, I will give you food and I will give you access to the thing you've just indicated to. Okay. So if you say, do you want food? Let's start with that. Yeah, so that's easy, right? So teaching the yes is easy. And so you have the two indicator possibilities in front of him. If he then puts his nose on the yes, then you give him food. If you say, do you want cuddles? And he puts his nose on the yes, you give him a cuddle. If you say, do you want water? And he puts his nose on the yes, you would offer him water, but he doesn't want water. Yes, exactly. What I do, though, is I always, I would always reinforce as well. So because, uh, to, uh, um, meaning that even if he says, I want water, I would give him a piece of food. Thank you, Beanie, for making a choice. And here's water. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. It's, I think what really he's doing is he's not saying, does he want water or not? It's like he's saying, do I want water over something else. I, I, I don't think he's going, well, we wouldn't know, right? We don't know. But it's the way it appears to me is that when I use it with, do you want to play this game? Yes or no. Do you want to play that game? Yes or no. He goes through a shortlist. Mm-hmm. And then I would go through that shortlist again. So what I don't have the means to ask, what I haven't taught him is, do you want X or Y or Z? concurrently it's always do you want x yes or no do you want y yes or no do you want z Mm -hmm. yes or no yeah which is a different kind of decision tree right but you know in a way because we're always wondering you know are we allowing our animals to to choose do they like what we're asking them to do but one of the one of the conclusion of ken ramirez after his doctor no experiment the one that we talked about earlier was that because was was because people were asking you know how do I teach my animal to say no? Mm-hmm. And he said you don't have to, because they tell you all the time. Mm-hmm. You know you just have to be sensitive and observe their their body language. They're saying no all the time to things, and they you don't need to teach. So in a way, I'm thinking. I mean, it's super interesting, mind you. I, you know, I, I find it fascinating to, and and there were experiments done with horses and blankets because we always wonder, you know, mm. do, 
Do they like having blankets or not? You know, blankets for rain, blanket for snow. How cold should I wait before I put the blankets on? And so they they did this experiment where the horses expressed their preference, you know, and most of them apparently preferred to be blanketed when it was very cold, but no blankets when it wasn't too cold. And it was individual, but there was like a majority of horses mm -hmm. that seemed to express that they appreciated the blanket when it was really, really cold. But when we know, and that's part of what a relationship is, is that, you know, when you were saying before, uh, Dini and I were like so in sync that you you know you know him so well that you can tell a lot yeah, yeah it's true i think history together agreed i think we have to be thoughtful about the, the the methods that we you know you could go through that super elaborate process of teaching yes and no and you know mm. what i went through because i find it fascinating yeah. and i want to you know i, I want to do it anyway and i love yeah, yeah, yeah. exploring ways of doing this but yes. then at the same time we can achieve perhaps the same function through body language you can mm -hmm. achieve the same function through this layered start button that we talked about earlier you right. can you can actually have it's ultimately it's all about having clear dialogue yes and it's and there are several means of there are several means of doing that yeah yeah because ultimately the behavior is flexible the function is what you need to think about you know so the same animal can show five different behaviors for the same function mm -hmm. i think that's a profoundly important statement because we can start to be dependent on and i'll call them crutches you know, my animal has his nose on a target, so it's okay for me to continue to groom him because he's got his nose on the target. But I'm missing all the little subtleties that where I, where my animal is saying, you know, I really want that that goodie that you're going to give me, so I'll keep my nose on the target. But I'm really hating this. It's important that we really start to read all the subtleties of the body language, and one of the one of the things that I've always liked about the concept training in the way that I've played with it, which is not set up so that I could do a, a scientific paper on, do my horses really discriminate between blue and green? But what my horses I know have become really good at reading subtleties in my body language, I mean, really subtle body language. And for me, that's actually more useful because of the dance that I so enjoy with them, whether it's under saddle or on the ground, that lovely exchange of information back and forth and how subtle that can become. So in a way, what the concept training does is it teaches my horse how to pay attention to the real subtleties of cues that I am offering. It helps me to become really aware of those subtle cues that I'm offering. And it helps me to see the really subtle cues that my horse is offering. And then if I want to go that extra step of, well, can I separate the task that I want you to do? Can I step out of it? And have you still perform it? And if I and that's the puzzle moment. And if I if that's important to me, how do I need to go about setting it up so that I am withdrawing the scaffolding of my body language? 
So, um, Vitya, you work with opaque card where you did not know the answer and you asked your dog the question. There are some you, cases when I can do that. that. Yeah, so there are some cases when I can do that. So I have, um, I have obviously, like everybody does, a laminator at home. So in the cases where I can shuffle, so the, the shape cards that I have, I can't see through them because when I prop them up, I actually don't know what's under. I have a very, very good memory for patterns. That's just, it's, it's a skill that I, I have. So... The better way to do it is if somebody would shuffle the cards and give it to me, right? That would yes. be one way to do it. Okay. Or alternatively, I'm not even in the room. That's another way. That's really the best way to do it. What I do is I have several layers of the paper, so I can't see through it. So even if it's written on the other side, I, I hold it against me. So I hold it facing the other way, and then I just shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. But bearing in mind, this is absolutely not rigorous because... I have a memory, right, of how many times I've shuffled. I'm trying consciously not to think of how many times I've shuffled it, but that's that's kind of information that I find very important, right? So it's sort of, I work with that. I also do, I film from different angles. I find this is really interesting. So I, I have very specific places in my lounge that lends itself to filming, and therefore I tend to often prop up my phone on a tripod there. But sometimes what I would do is I would put my phone on my tripod exactly 180 degrees facing me. So literally the other side. So what I can then see is imbalances left and right. So when the camera is more to my side, I can see, for example, forwards and backwards a bit more. Whereas you, when the camera is a mirror of you on the other side facing you, you tend to see less of that depth, but you tend to see left and right a bit more. So it's by changing the perception of how that's going. It gives me a lot of information. So I've picked up things like, oh, I move my elbow when, when <laughs> this. I, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I found beautiful about what you were saying just now, Alex, is that the, the irony about concept training is that in doing concept training, you get subtler and subtler in your communication. Yes, yes. Times where you set it up in a way where you did not know the right answer until after your dog had picked the answer. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So in some case, I think it is true. I would always hesitate because I am a scientist by profession. If I were to claim, oh, this is a true proof of cognition, mm -hmm. I would have doubt in that mind, you know, because it's just, because I'm just a scientist by profession, you know, it's just that I, in my day job, I write peer reviewed papers, so I know what it takes. How would I go about testing it? So like you mentioned Ken's work with Coral, which was on the counting, which mm. was given a different name, but what actually is going on? How do you test it? And in the early training, Ken knows the right answer. He knows how many he's putting in. He knows which one he's to go to. But as that experiment continued, they did some really elaborate double blinds so that Ken would put the objects in the tray, but he doesn't see where Coral goes. And there were a lot of controls going on so that they could test to see, is she truly doing that match or is there something that Ken is doing? Well, Ken's behind a barrier. So. There's a lot of work that happens using tablets in the research community. So, you know, yeah. they use tablets and there's nobody in the room. So yes. that is, you know, that, that would be one way to do it. The other way that I've come across, for example, is where um, you have 
even though there is still a, a handler present in the picture, you have a control group trying to yep. figure out yep. use of that handler if there yep. are any so you have yep. a group that is making so there are there are ways of kind of working around that and i'm aware of what people do i think for me that the, if you're really out for cognitive um, you know that kind of something that is devoid of that social yes. intelligence you know that so something that is completely yes. taking that away that rigor yes. is something else Yes. In order to show that, you know, so I think as a, as much as yes, I have several games where I don't actually know what the answer is. As long as I'm part, I, I am his teacher. I cannot be his tester. As a teacher, I always go back to if I'm working with a small child, how do I help that child to be successful without so spoon feeding them that they never learn? Because that's no good either. At the end of the day, most of us are doing concept training, not for the rigors of a scientific paper, but for the pleasure of the companionship. I've become more interested in the concept training as my horses become older. In the early days, where I needed to put my focus was on how do we teach horses to do the things that people want to do with horses, which all head in the direction of riding. If clicker training is going to really take hold in the horse world, we have to be able to use it in a way that we can teach the things that are first and foremost what people think they want to do with their horses. And then once we've got that well established, then we can start to have the fun of, oh, and by the way, did you know that you can teach match to sample? Did you know that you can teach your horse to pick colors or to show you bigger and smaller and left and right and all of those fun things? So it's a direction that we can definitely head and that enriches the relationship. Whatever is going on, it enriches the relationship because you're spending time, social time, with your animal and they do seem to enjoy it. And you can explore a lot of a, a lot of training methodology through concept trainers. For me, the, the joy of concept training is in, is in watching him light the, light the building, but it's also in solving the Rubik's Cube. Yes. Because if I'm going, okay, so right now my dog has the following behaviors in his repertoire. I want to get to that place. That's where I want to go. Okay, how am I going to go from where I am to, you know, it's, it's, it's that puzzle solving, you know, it's mm -hmm. figuring out the method. So at the moment, I'm trying to teach him the concept of do the behavior now versus do the behavior later. Oh. Mm. Um, so that's what I'm working with him on at the moment. And it's delightful for me because I'm going, okay, I make this little change. What does that do for you? I'm trying for it to be errorless on both our parts, right? Yes. And it's the joy of that solving that puzzle that maybe this is also the engineer talking, right? <laughs> um, but that's kind of what gets to me. The other thing that I love about concept training is that you can combine stuff together. You can go, okay, so I can teach you right now. I'm, I'm, I, I'm getting bored of doing the same cavalities every single day with him, let me be honest. So therefore, I have started to introduce concepts into it. So I have 
two blocks and I have him stationed on the other side of the Cavalettis. I say, wait, and I walk to the two blocks and then I go, right, okay. And he comes over the Cavalettis and touches the thing on the right. But actually, that's an example, the first time he did it, that's actually an example of adduction because he's yeah. going, okay, when I see the Cavalettis, I need to walk over the Cavalettis, not around them. And then, so the Cavalettis are a cue and then I'm saying, right. So he's going, okay, that means walk over the Cavalettis and touch the thing on the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's sort of, we see what is beautiful is to sort of explore how concepts combine together. So can I combine matching with quantities? Can I combine size discrimination with matching? Can I combine quantities and oddity? Can I do... Yeah, you, uh, I, I just want to, to make a little parenthesis here because we talked a lot about sight, what they see, yeah. and we know about sense discrimination. It's quite yes. well developed in obedience and all that. Yes. But you've done some work too at the piano with your dog. So oh, there's some oddity Yes. Um, my favorite my favorite is oh, actually can you tactile. Talk about that? I like tactile matching that's one of my favorites as well because exactly it's like concepts apply to an, an animal experiences the world in with different senses for us it's always vision right that's our biggest thing but then mm-hmm. to think okay the same concept can be shown through different behaviors can be shown through different senses and perception the same concept can look like a different behavior. So for example, if you see a match, touch my hand. If you don't see a match, look at me. That's like saying, if you see a match, touch the right side. You don't see a match, go lie down. You know, you can just change, chop and change. You know, you can just kind of, it's, it's like you can just build that jigsaw in a very complex way. So with, with for example, the piano one, oh, that was, I think, was that before or after I taught him names of Christmas songs? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I, oh, no, no. Well, well, I, I'm, it, you, I think you will understand that I have a certain kind of enthusiasm things. And I am very, very grateful that Beanie is the kind of dog who goes, yeah, okay. But, <laughs> um, so at one point, I wanted to teach him to recognize some of my favorite Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I would... And, in, in another career, like, you know, before engineering, before all of that, I used to be a professional singer, not a professional dancer. So, you know, I, I kind of, I miss doing that, right? So I taught him just, just, it, it's a cue, you know, it's, it's the first few words of the Christmas carol. And then he would pick the pattern of the name of the song. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so on. So then I started looking into, I have an app on my phone and on my iPad for the piano. Okay. And then matching goes in different ways, doesn't it? So you can do matching with notes. the piano notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, um, is the same note as this. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. one thing that I've always wondered about that is the precision in perception. And mm-hmm. I don't know the answers, but it's one of the questions that's on my mind sometimes. What does identical mean to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes because of the level of sensitivity that our animals have Mm -hmm. to some senses more than others, Mm -hmm. yeah? Is it really the same to him? Or is he learning that, oh, okay, if it kind of approximately sounds like it belongs in this cluster, I should just say yes, because I get sweets. Yeah. You see? But he he was correct. He would identify the same notes and see. Yeah, we got up to three notes, I think. That was when I started to, so I would do uh, A, B, C, you know? So then say, 
is that the same? Is that different? And so on. Same thing with um, touch as well. And that was, that came about after a very bad vet appointment and I was absolutely heartbroken. And then I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I don't want to work on husbandry today. I'm going to do concept work with you today, but I'm going to combine the two together. <laughs> oh, that's clever. Yes. So it's, um, do I touch in the same place twice? Okay. If I would touch him on the shoulder and I would touch him on the hip, it's not the same place. Okay. Or if I would touch him on the shoulder, but the first time it's a flat hand, the next time it's a poke. Is that the same? Is that the same or not? So it's... What did he say? Well, it depends what you reinforce, isn't it? This mm. is it. Ultimately, it comes to... So with him, he's, he's pretty clear when I touch in different yeah. places. I don't think I have built up the level of precision in touch yet in terms of am I, you know, pay attention to the type of the touch. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a case of it comes down to criteria, right? Like to our conversation yeah. earlier, the level of precision that you would like the animal to have comes down to how you set your criteria. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you, you haven't uh, taught him the, the, the difference between the flat and the poke... Based on his behavior around our cooperative care training, I know that there's a difference for him between those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he has been happier with one kind of tactile in comparison yeah, to the other. Yeah. You know, so I know that those two things are very different to him. I, I know that the perception is there. It's kind of a case of going there and exploring that further, you know? Yeah, just kind of, but like yeah. we said before, this is, a, this is the perfect example. I'm sure he would say, I'd rather work at the piano. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, I think it's fascinating. I think if you, if if one starts to think about what choice looks like, and is there really choice? And are we skilled enough as a, as a teacher to be able to give choice? Are, Are we building the repertoires that the animal needs? So it's problem solving, not flailing about. It's through concept training, you can explore a lot of that as a, as a teacher. But this is also exactly why I so wanted to do a podcast with you, because you're so creative in your use of the concept training. And I can see that doing the, well, is this touch the same or is it different, completely changes the can I touch you game. And it completely changes it. And it takes it out of the realm of, oh, she's going to touch me again, and I hate being touched, to, oh, it's the game of, and it's such a fun, creative, let's get out of the box of, okay, I I know enough about concept training that I can teach my animal match to sample, and then I'm at a dead end. And what you're doing is you're showing us so many possibilities of really being creative with the individuals that we have. I loved it. That is what I would want to do. It breaks my heart when people go, oh, Beanie's so smart. Oh, you're such a... I don't think it's any of that. I think every Mm -hmm. single animal has that skill. Yeah. I don't have to teach my dog to count. He knows how to count. I just have to tell him when I say how many, you need to do the thing you've done all your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, We should be humble enough to realize that you're working with an animal that already has a repertoire. Yes. You're just putting a label on it. 
you know you just saying and and it, the skill isn't being clear enough to to communicate that right that's that's the skill i guess but part of concept work i think is 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 this respect that you get for for the other half of your training part you know your your yes. the other half of that dance is is i i mean i i call Beanie my giant because when he's working with me he is he like i i i feel like we are equal which is how it should feel. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. The, the difference is not that he is exceptional and so smart, but is that one evening after another, after another, after another, you have engaged with him instead of saying, go sit on the hearth, I'm reading a book now. Yeah, that's true. But it's the fascination, isn't it? It's, it's, it's problem solving. It's, it's, realizing that I wasn't that, you know, I have a long way to go to be a good trainer, you know, so it's kind of realizing that through this avenue, I can be better. And I can explore certain things with an animal who is so kind to do this with me. Yes. And it's sort of you grow together, you do, you just grow together. And it gives you such a, a deep window into their soul. Yes, it, yeah. it, it does. It does yeah. because you give them the ability and you say, now you tell me what you think. Yes, yeah. because it, it gives them a voice that can be heard. Yes, yeah. and yeah. that's true everywhere, isn't it? It's not just about concepts, is it? It's about like, that's what we should be doing. It's, it's catering for welfare, catering for enrichment, but it's giving them, well, in very simple terms, giving them control over the outcomes, right? Yes. It's giving them the, the repertoire to be able to tell us how they perceive the world. Yes, that sits at the core of the training of so, so many people. And what you've been exploring is, you know, when you love to train, you start to run out of, okay, I've taught my dog to sit and stay and come and, you know, the basics. I've taught my horse, you know, walk, talk, canter. I, you know, I've got a nice basic repertoire but I still want to teach new things. And that's, that's when the concept training really comes into its own because those puzzle, that puzzle solving is so much fun. And if you get an individual who wants to puzzle solve with you, what a joy. Yes, and, exactly. You know, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it? Because, because see, he loves it because he goes, all he has to do is sit there and touch something. Yes. He is highly likely to be right. You know, it's a win-win situation for him. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's true, you know, because Alex, when you say you may have taught everything to your animal, and that's kind of the, you know, a next fun exploration to do when they know everything else. But even if you have you know, not taught everything, but you have an older dog, because I certainly think that, you know, I could have taught many other things to Canel, but she's just too old now. But this is still possible for me with her. Absolutely. And it keeps them young. The place yeah. where I do quite a lot of concept work is actually at the shelter. So, mm -hmm. you know, in all honesty, it only takes you two sessions to teach size discrimination. I have this game where you hold five fingers on one hand, one finger on the other hand, and you say which one's bigger. Okay. Yes. For, for example, and yeah. I I teach this to the dogs at the RSPCA mm -hmm. because it's you know life is very stressful for them. You know, it it looks amazing on a video. You know, and you go <laughs> actually it demonstrates to people that this animal who lives in this rescue environment, looking for a second chance in life, yeah. is is all of that. Yeah. 
and you're missing out. You know, it's this is the animal you can, you, this, this is what this animal is capable of, just like that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the, the other side of they don't feel pain. Mm-hmm. They're not smart. It's just, you know, it opens up all the other side of that. Yeah. And it's just who they are. It's mm-hmm. not like a huge. Yeah, it's not the Walt or, Disney. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. actually just who they are. And they're doing this all the time anyway. Yeah. And all we're doing is through this work is we, it helps us to see the brilliance of our animals. Yes, it, I think it, it gives us the means to see yes. that brilliance. Mm-hmm. And maybe your question, Dominique, much earlier on about why people take to this and are so yes. fascinated by it, I think that is actually the answer. Mm. Yeah. And you know what? I think that's a lovely note to end on. But before we wind down, tell me a little bit about where people... So if someone is really intrigued by the idea of concept training, where do they find you? And where do they find out more about concept training? Um, I'll first talk about where people can find me. I have my Facebook page, which is called The Unlikely Tricksters. The Unlikely Tricksters. That's right. Okay. And the URL for that is facebook.com slash the unlikely tricksters in one word. Okay. And I'll put it in the notes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I am very responsive to, I, I, I talk to lots of people on there. I know many people by first name. So it's, it's, I, I love that community and it has, it, I just love hanging out there with all the people who love talking to me. And other than that, I have my website where I well I it's a blog it's mostly a blog where I just write stuff that I think about and so on that is also the unlikely tricksters.com I, I teach on Tromplo which is an which an extraordinary online training platform that is founded by Agnieszka Janarek so yes this year I'm teaching a foundations to concept training course so talking about the basic behaviors and repertoires and the indication and the stimulus control you know what we talked about earlier and then another concept course it's going to be my first concept course on uh, size and quantity discrimination so part of that course is how do you teach a concept and it's quite geeky it's very rigorous it's all of that and then it also has some of these games that you can play you know like war and um, other games that involve size discrimination you know so as as the concept involved other than that i can teach this concept training of course yes on the karen prior academy uh, on the website so this is an online course as well um, he teaches two different concept courses at this time i believe one is a matching one and i think a match to sample related one and he does is, is his other one maybe an adduction one i'm not sure what is the other one but he has two lovely courses one is a prerequisite for the other at the moment i think other than that so uh, that was ken remy that is right that's right um because we and, say ken all the time <laughs> i know i know right this is true and someone like must come say he's his what <laughs> people must come in and listen to it for the first time and go who is this person yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other person to look at so for imitation related work claudia fogasa yeah she is very well known and her book do as i do is something that i've learned a lot from okay that gives people a good starting point because the concept training is great fun and i Thank you immensely, immensely for sharing this time with us. Such an honor. Thank you. This is huge for me. Thank you. And I I suspect we'll be revisiting this topic 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank, Thank you very much. It was lovely bye. to meet both of you again. Yes. Bye. Bye. Don't go away. We have a special announcement to make. We're about to publish our 100th episode. We're going to be celebrating this event, but I'm not going to tell you yet how. You're going to have to wait until next time to find out what we have planned for you. I know we've all been impacted by the coronavirus. I hope these podcasts are able to provide something of interest to help you get through these challenging times. Stay well and stay connected.